Lord, we thank you that that invitation to come as we are is open to us all the time. You said, come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And Lord, only, only you know the depths of anything that any of us are carrying and the, the difficulties, the trials we're facing. Lord, our, our prayer tonight is that we would just simply be able to just come to you, come to your feet and to lay whatever it is down. Some are, are great and big things. Other things are nagging things. Big, big boulders, some little pebbles. But Lord, we, we just lay them down at your feet. Lord, we know your desire is to meet us right where we are and to minister to us whatever it is that we need. Lord, our desire tonight too is to, is to hear from you, from your word. Lord, we know that your word is alive and it is active. And so Lord, have your way here tonight. Move amongst us as we study your word and can meet us right where we are. Thank you, Lord, for the, the privilege that we have to gather together and to praise you, to sing your praises. Lord, we don't take that lightly. We know that you've given us that, that unique ability to praise you in this way, to praise you in this way for who you are. Your word says that if we don't, the rocks will cry out. So Lord, we do, we thank you, we praise you for who you are one who saved our souls and the one who desires to lead us and guide us and direct us. Lord, our desire is to do just that, to follow you, to grow into who it is that you called us to be more and more into your image. So have that work done in us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening. Please be seated, but you already are, so... Take out your Bibles, please, and open them up with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2. We got into chapter 2 last week. 1 Kings chapter 2. By the way, next Wednesday is Awana Awards Night, so we won't have our normal Wednesday night Bible study. The kids are going to be in here getting their awards for all of the hard work that they've done this year through the Iwana program on Wednesday night. So parents, I'm sure you'll be, you'll be here. And if you want to come and cheer them on and encourage them, by all means do that. But we will pick up in 1 Kings the, the following week, Lord willing, and should he tarry. By the way, did you guys know that next Wednesday is actually Star Wars Day? <laughs> Seriously, I didn't, I didn't know that. Somebody just told me that. It's May the 4th. Wait for it. Wait for it. May the 4th. I thought that was really funny. I, I really did. Anyway. I, some of you are getting it just now. Some of, I can hear it. I can hear it. All right. First Kings chapter 2. Last week as we began our study in First Kings, we saw the end of the reign of King David. And we saw as David's end was, his life was coming to an end, his oldest son, Abiath, or I'm sorry, um, Adonijah, tried to usurp 
what it is that God had designed. Solomon, David's son Solomon, was the one who was to take the throne. And he tried to do a quick end around before he could, Solomon could be anointed king, and he tried to step into that, but we saw that that was, that was cut to an end. Solomon anointed king. Adonijah then put to death because of that, and we saw that through there. And we pick up now, that's where we left off. Also, Abiathar the priest, who was a part of that, Solomon spared his life, but he sent him away took his priestly duties away, his role as a priest away, and that again, as we mentioned, ended the line of Eli that God foretold would take place back at the beginning of 1 Samuel. We pick up now in verse 28 of 1 Kings chapter 2. Now the news came to Joab. Now Joab was the commander of David's army, and David was a part of that coup attempt with Adonijah, for Adonijah had followed, or Joab had followed Adonijah, although he had not followed Solomon. Word comes to Joab that all of this is going on, that Adonijah has been, has been killed, Abiathar been sent away, and Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. Now that was, we, we talked about that last week because that's also what Adonijah did. And it tells us in, in the book of Exodus that that was a way that you could go and, and plead for mercy. But it does tell us in Exodus chapter 21 that that is not a way that you can get away with murder, premeditated murder. And we will see, and, that, and we've, as we've studied through, that's what Joab did. So he is now in a last-ditch effort trying to save his own skin by going and grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar, hoping that that will indeed save his life. Now, we, we know and we can, we can deduce from the text, and knowing Joab as we've gone through, he's not a repentant man. He's not repenting of his sin. He is now really sorry that this is all turning out the way it is, but he's not sorry for what he did. He's not broken and repentant for that. So to go now and try to, try to do some type of external act to try to, to, to obtain mercy isn't going to work. And bottom line with that, we need to understand that too. And, and, and as we are, we are talking with others, it's not external work that can ever make us right with God, no matter what that is, whether it is confessing to a, a priest or saying certain number of prayers in certain order. That can never get us right with God. It is a broken and repentant heart. And a, and a confession of that sin and repentance, turning from sin and turning to God, that is how we receive the forgiveness and the grace of God in that. The Bible tells us, not, don't play games with God. God is not mocked. And in this act, that is, that is literally what he's doing. He's, he's mocking the word of God, the law of God, and trying to catch some kind of loophole to save his life. And we'll see it doesn't, doesn't work out well for him. Verse 29 it was told King Solomon that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go fall upon him, go to go and kill him. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, Thus the king has said, Come out. But he said, No, for I will die here. And Benaiah brought the word to the, the, to the king again, saying, Thus spoke Joab, and thus he answered me. I told him to come out, and he said, No, you're going to have to kill me here. So Solomon the king said to him, do as he has spoken. Call him and bury him, fall upon him and bury him. 
that you may remove from me and my father's house the blood which Joab shed without cause. Verse 32, the Lord will return his blood on his own head because he fell upon two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword while my father David did not know it. David did not know that he was going to go out and do these things. We see here the, the two men he's speaking of, Abner, the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood return on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But to David and his descendants, in his house and his throne, may there be peace from the Lord forever. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went and fell upon him and put him to death, and he, buried, he was buried at his own house in the wilderness. The king appointed Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in his place, and the king appointed Zadok the priest in the place of Abiathar. So Solomon now taking care of some things. David warned him, told him that these are things that he would need to deal with. David did not. He did not deal with these things. Joab had been a faithful commander in his army, but this needed to be dealt with. So he hands it off to Solomon. Solomon takes care of these things. Now, verse 36, the king sent and called Shemei and said to him, build for yourself a house in Jerusalem and live there and do not go out from there to any place. Shemei, we met back in 2 Samuel. He is the one when David, when Absalom did his coup attempt, David, when he fled, he was the one that was shouting the curses at David as he went, and we talked about it then. Shimei is a descendant of Saul and, and carried bitterness and hatred towards David because he felt that the line of Saul should continue as king, and because he's in that line, had his own selfish reasons for that, saw this taking place, said it's, it's about right that you had this coming to you and this type of thing. Well, then when David comes back, and Absalom is, is dead, all of a sudden he's trying to backtrack and make things right and, and, and be okay and, and all that. David warned Solomon, says, you keep an eye on him. Again, not repentant, not, not realizing he's wrong and turning to, to, to what is right, covering his own skin, saving his own skin. So Solomon extends amazing grace here to Shemei. He's saying, in, in essence, you deserve probably to die for what you've already done but I'm going to allow you to live, but here's the conditions. You need to build a house in Jerusalem, and you need to stay there. I need to be able to keep an eye on you. Because worried that if he goes and, and back to his home and rallying and getting people to come against Solomon. For on the day, he says, that you go and cross the brook Kidron, you will know for certain that you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. Shimei then said to the king, the word is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant shall do. Responding to Solomon, and again, just a reminder, Solomon is a teenager. Solomon is maybe at this point anywhere 16 to 18 years old. Shemei, an older man, no doubt it has to just, just really a burr in his saddle to say, your word is good, king, I'll, I'll do what you said. But he does for a while. Shimei lived many days in Jerusalem, but it came about at the end of three years that two of the servants of Shemei ran away to Achish, son of Makkah, king of Gath. And they told Shemei, saying, behold, your servants are in Gath. Maybe his servants were thinking, you know, he can't come get me. He can't leave and come find me. So we're going to take this opportunity. They run away. They run away to Gath. 
Then Shimei arose and saddled his donkey and went to Gath to Achish to look for his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. It was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had returned. So the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, You will know for certain that on the day you depart and go anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, The word which I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the command which I have laid on you? The king also said to Shimei, You know all the evil which you acknowledge in your heart, which you did to my father. Therefore, the Lord shall return your evil on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and fell upon him so that he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. So now all of these, David, has, David had warned him, told him to deal with all of these. Solomon now has done that, and it tells us now that the kingdom is, is firmly established now with Solomon, this young man, young man, again, late teens at most, as its king. Chapter 3, then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. We're going to see as we look at the life of Solomon, as this continues, this is the first of of many mistakes that he will make when it comes to one of his biggest problems, and that's with women. They were, they were commanded very clearly not to marry outside of, of Israel, yet the, the first recorded wife that he gets, he goes and makes an alliance with Pharaoh, and that was done for political reasons, no doubt, military reasons, no doubt. We're at peace, everything's good, let's make sure that keeps that. So I'll do this, marry the Pharaoh's daughter, then hopefully she's on my side and I can find out any information that might be going on in Egypt. We can have a good relationship. You know, it'll be my father-in-law and everything will be, will be good between us. Bottom line is, guys, we never go outside of the word of God to make alliances outside of that because even if it, even if it looks like on the surface that that's a wise thing to do or it benefits us, it will always come back to bite us. It will always come back and be a problem. And we will see as we look at the life of Solomon in the weeks to come, it's exactly what happened. His multiple wives that he will accumulate will cause him to stumble, will cause him to turn away from God. We're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Verse 2, the people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The, the temple has not been built. There was that, the, the tent that we've spoken of a few times, the tabernacle. But the temple has not yet been built. Solomon will do that in the chapters to come. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, ask what you wish me to give you. Again, imagine, here's this young man, and though making, a, making an, an error that we looked at in, in verse 1, it does tell us that his heart is still following God. He loves God. And it tells us here that he went and he offered a thousand burnt offerings in 
worship and praise of God. Imagine that. I mean, that's not something you do in an, in an afternoon. This was, this was an effort to, again, show his, his love for the Lord and his commitment to the Lord. And it tells us while he's there in, in an evening, the Lord appears to him in a dream and he says, Solomon, what is it that you wish me to give you? What, what is it that you want me to give you? Now imagine, young man, 18, 19 years old maybe at this point, let me ask you, if, if God appeared to you and said, I'll give you whatever it is you wish, what would you ask for? Let me restate that. Pretend you've never read this chapter. <laughs> what would you ask for? The problem is we'd all say, I'd ask for wisdom because we know, what, you know if you've read the chapter before. But Solomon hadn't read the chapter yet. And this very real transaction, conversation is taking place. Verse 6, Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness, that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. In that saying, I understand that this rightfully isn't even, isn't even mine. You chose me to take this place. Now, O oh Lord God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. I don't know how to go out into battle. I don't know how to return in a way that honors you in these things. A, great, a very humbling heart as he goes. I'm but a child. No doubt, again, through his first 16, 17 years, watching his dad, learning from his dad. We talked of that when we looked at some of the Proverbs last week that he wrote saying, you know, I, I listened to my dad and I, and I followed what he said, learning so much from his father, but realizing now that all of that still has not prepared him to take this role on. Verse 8, your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen. A great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Notice he said that several times in there, your people. Your people, Lord. You have entrusted me to be king, but I don't for one minute claim them as mine. They are your people. And if I am going to honor you in what you have called me to do, I need your wisdom. I need to know what it is that you desire. Give me an understanding heart. That word literally, understanding, that word literally means give me a hearing heart. And I like that understanding of that word that's translated understanding, a hearing heart. I need to hear from you, God. I need to know your desires. I need to hear it right from your heart to my heart. Listening to that still, small voice. Listening to hear as God would say, this is the way, walk in it. That is what he desired. And you know what? 
looking at this, and again, just to take a step back to that, quite honestly, if any of us, and like I said, we know the story, and you know, but even if we didn't know the story, there's nothing better than what we could ask is to say, God, I want to know your will. I want to know what you desire for me. I want, to, I want to know what path you want me to walk. I want you to tell me when to turn to the right or to the left. Because we know that, that we, we hold those things and we know them about God. Even in the situations and the times that we don't understand, we can always fall back on the things that we do understand about God. He is sovereign. He's in control. He is only good and he loves us. Those three things we always have to hold on to. And if, if we embrace that and we live that, what else would we possibly want than exactly what it is that he desires for us to have? And that's what Solomon's asking for. It was pleasing, verse 10, in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked for this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself a long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among you, that, any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Rejoicing in the answer that God had given him, that he, 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 he can hold on to that truth knowing that God said, I have answered your request. You have what you ask for. And we see in verse 16 an example, as we look at these following verses, an example of that wisdom. Verse 16, then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that kind of right off, off the bat when, when we look at that, just imagine the situation. Here's the king, Solomon. We, he just said the number of people is innumerable that, he, that the Lord has placed him over. And here it tells us that two harlots come up and can get an audience with the king. Doesn't that sound crazy? With all of the things that he has to do and all of the things that he has to take care of, doesn't it sound crazy? that two prostitutes or are having a problem can come and get an audience with the king. Now, as crazy as that sounds, here's what's even crazier. You and I can have an audience with the king of kings anytime we want. As a matter of fact, he desires us to come always, all the time to the throne of grace to get help in our time of need. These two women come and they have, a, they have a serious problem they need to deal with. And the, the way that it worked is the lower, the lower system, the lower court system, couldn't figure it out. This went to many people probably before it got to him. Nobody could come up with an answer. So it comes to him for this decision. Verse 17, the one woman said, Oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. 
It happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child, and we were together, and there was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us in the house. There's no witnesses to any of this, just my word against hers. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. She rolled over at night, smothering the child. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. When I arose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, he was not my son whom I had borne. Then the other woman said, no. For the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, No, for the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. The king said, The one says, This is my son who is living, and your son is the dead one. But the other says, No, for your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. So just imagine this playing out in front of him. No, no, it's your son. No, 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 it's your son. Back and forth. Let me get this straight. (laughs) He summarizes, and then he says, verse 24, get me a sword. Now again, if you've read this, you know where we're going, but nobody in the room read the story ahead of time. (laughs) So here's the answer. Get me a sword. I got no doubt a lot of things running through their minds. What's he going to do with the sword? Some of them might be thinking he might just be done with the whole thing and just off deal. I'm tired of dealing with this. Get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and he said, divide the living child in two and give half of the one to one and the other half to the other. Now, just a little time out, just in case you're wondering. He had no intention of doing that. <laughs> but this is, the, 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 this, is his, this is his solution that he lays before them. Give me a sword. We'll cut the child in half. Each of you get half. Then the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other one said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is the mother. When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, They feared the king, that they respected him for this, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Often, what you're holding in your hand is referred to as a sword. A couple of different times in in the New Testament specifically, Hebrews tells us that it's like a sword, sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul defining or giving us a description of the armor that we carry, the sword, the word of God, the sword that we carry. Guys, the sword should never be used to divide. And so often, division happens over the word of God. People take verses out of the word of God and twist them to, to their own bent, to get their own way. Guys, the word of God should never be used to divide. It should be used to unite. So often the body of Christ is divided over the word of God. Solomon in his wisdom doesn't use the sword to divide. He uses the sword to discern. 
discern who is right in this situation. And the word of God is living and alive. And as we use that and filled with the Holy Spirit, it does give us discernment. Well, we see this great wisdom played out as words spread about this. The people were amazed, this young man filled with the spirit of God, the wisdom of God, and the decision that came down here. Well, chapter four, now the king, now King Solomon was king over all Israel. These are his officials. Azariah, the son of Zadok, was the priest. Eliphorah and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, were secretaries. They were the scribes keeping track of everything. Jehoshaphat, the son of Elihud, was a recorder. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Now, Abiathar, as we mentioned, has already been sent away to his home. He's no longer acting as priest. Zadok now takes, and his family takes that role in the line of Aaron. Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the deputies. Now, Nathan was one of David's other sons. So here's a, a, a nephew of Solomon's, Azariah. He was over the deputies. And Zebad, the son of Nathan, another nephew, a priest, was the king's friend. <laughs> I like that. I think that's kind of cool. Serving, serving under him, but also a friend. A friend of the king. Isn't it great that the Bible tells us that we're friends of the king? That we're friends of the king of kings. Yes, we are his servant, and yes, we do what he says, but he calls us friends. Ahishar was over the household, and Adonoram, the son of Abda, was over the men subject to forced labor. Solomon had 12 deputies over all Israel who provided for the king, provided their, their food and their sustenance. We're going to see that in a moment. For the king and his household, each man had to provide for a month in the year. So they divided the kingdom up into 12 parts, and it's not going on tribal lines. Um, the commentary that I looked at mentioned that it was divided up so that each area could provide what was needed, and we're going to see it's quite a list. But they were responsible for one month out of the year to provide what is needed for the king and his household. And then the other 11 months, they're working on getting it all ready so that when their time comes back around again. Now, I could impress you with how I pronounce all of the names in the, the next several verses, but I won't. You can read those on your own because it's just a list of names and where they're from. But down in verse 20 tells us Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. They were eating and drinking and rejoicing. This is a great time of, of prosperity and peace for the children of Israel. They are not at war with anyone. God is blessing their land. They have an abundance of food and, and everything, and they are just a great time of, of peace and prosperity Solomon ruled over all the kingdom from the river, that's the Euphrates River up in today's Iraq, to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Verse 22 it lays out the provisions for one day for Solomon and his household. It says, Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and six cores of meal. Now, a core equals approximately 10 bushels, and a bushel is 9.3 gallons. So imagine, <laughs> imagine the, the amount of flour and meal that is there. Thousands of, of loaves of bread can be cooked with that. 
10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed oxen, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. That's one day. (laughs) Quite a spread that is laid out for the king and all of his family and all of his servants and all of that. For he had dominion over everything west of the river from Tipsha even to Gaza over all the kings west of the river and he had peace on all sides around him. Judah and Israel lived in safety every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. So we see great prosperity, time of great peace. Verse 26, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Now, here we see another, one of the areas that Solomon goes against what God's word said. It says that you're not to multiply wives, and we are going to see that he did that, but it also says that, we are, that the king is not to multiply horses. You might ask, well, why is that? And the, the answer sure appears to be that you multiply horses and chariots and all of that, and all of a sudden now you begin to rely and depend on the size of your army, taking, taking peace and comfort in the size of your army and the number of the, the chariots and the horses and the men that you have instead of relying on God, instead of, of, of trusting in him. You trust in, in yourself. You trust in what you've accumulated Again, we will see that these things do do come back to be a problem for for him later on in life. David wrote in Psalm 20, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Solomon appearing to start boasting in riches and in the size of his army and his horses. But verse 27, it says, those deputies provided for King Solomon and all those who came to the king's table, each in his month, they left nothing lacking. They also brought barley and straw for the horses and swift steeds to the place where it should be, each according to his charge. So they did this diligently for the month that they did this. Now verse 29 says, now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Azarite, Heman, Kelkal, Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs. We have some of those recorded for us in the book of Proverbs. Wise sayings. And his songs were 1,005. He wrote songs. We have his greatest hit recorded for us in here too, the Song of Solomon. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even of hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke of animals and birds and creeping things and fish his wisdom went beyond, beyond measure. He was, a, he was an expert in, in everything. He knew things about all things. He was a fill-in-the-blankologist. He, he studied and he learned and, he, and he, was just, he was wise beyond any man. I mean, they list some names here. I don't know any of them, but I know some really smart guys. He was way smarter. Men came from 
all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. It says in, back in verse 29, Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind. Now that word mind there literally is heart. He had not only wisdom, but he had an incredible heart. A heart and a love for the people and a love for God and a love for the, the things of God. Enough, and I, I think this is interesting. I, I, this is kind of neat. Look, notice it says, a breadth of mind or of heart like the sand that is on the seashore. Now look back at verse 20. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore. I don't think that's a mistake that those two things are together. He had a heart that was big enough to, to, to make sure that everyone was taken care of. That was his desire. And again, we're looking at King Solomon. But when we look at the king of kings and his heart, he has, he has a love for every one of us. And you know, the, the, the amazing thing about infinite love, infinite grace, is that all the love and the grace that gets poured out on me by the Lord Jesus doesn't dilute any of what you get. It's infinite. Infinity minus a million is infinity. <laughs> it doesn't affect the source. It doesn't mean that because it took a whole lot of grace for me that there's any less for you. And when we look at it from a, from a King Solomon standpoint, again, he's just one man. And again, this, this amazing task that he's been given and, and all of that, it, it is impossible for one man to, to take care of individually the needs of every person, regardless of how big his heart might be towards doing that. But too often, we can place those human restraints on God and say, man, with all of the problems that are going on in the world right now, can he possibly have enough time to deal with my problem? Because in the, in the whole scheme of things, my, my problem probably isn't that very big. To him it is. Whatever it is you're dealing with is the most important thing on his list. <laughs> How does that work? I don't know, but I know it's true. His love for you is as vast as, way beyond our imagination. His grace that he extends towards us, we cannot outrun his grace. Tells us this again about Solomon, but Jesus tells us in John chapter 12 that he is the greater than Solomon. He refers to the queen that came to seek Solomon and the wisdom of Solomon, and he said, to The greater than Solomon is here, speaking of himself. And it tells us here that men, verse 34, men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And we can look at Solomon and say, you know what, that's, that's great for him, but who, who could ever come to me for that? Who could ever, God wants to use us in that same way. James tells us, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously without reproach and it will be given to him. The world needs to know what we know. The world needs to know about the grace and the love of God and we have that. 
And I believe, I, 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 tr I truly do, that there is still a time of the great, a great revival still, there's still time for that. And that will happen as we are obedient to pray for wisdom, pray for wisdom as to how to share with your coworker or your neighbor or your family member. Pray for the words to say and diligently seek the Lord. And he opens up those opportunities for us and as we are obedient, then that word goes out. Amazing, we looked at this this week on, on Sunday, and we don't have time to get into chapter five, so we'll, we'll close with this. It tells us in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter two, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the mind of Christ in us, we pray for that wisdom and that ability to share and to those opportunities to share. And as we're obedient in that, the word of God goes out and the word tells us that his word does not return void. It will accomplish what he set it out to do. And he chooses to use us and to be involved in that process. Well, we'll pick up, pick up there, not next week, Awana, Awana's week, but the following week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, as always, for the incredible work that you've done in us that saving work, that ongoing sanctifying work. And Lord, our desire is that we truly would be transformed, that we would be molded more and more into your image. And Lord, as the world is, just seems to get, be getting crazier and darker, Lord, our desire is to be used by you. Lord, give us your heart. Give us your eyes. Let us see as you see and Feel what you feel. Lord, we pray for opportunity to share who you are, to be a testimony. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.